Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I'm going to be talking with Super Bowl MVP Mark Rippon about his brain injury struggles. If you're enjoying this podcast series, be sure to check out my Patreon page to help support my advocacy work and receive exclusive content on Patreon. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers. Located in Denver, Colorado, Dr. Shane Stedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I am Amy Zalmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Good Men Project, and I am author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I am editor-in-chief of The Brain Health Magazine, and you can get your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. Save the date for March 16th, my virtual Brain Injury Awareness Day event. You can register for free at facesoftbi.com slash event. And you can also learn more about me and the podcast series at facesoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Amy Zellmer. I also invite you to join me in my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Mark Rippon, and Mark was the Super Bowl MVP winner and quarterback for the Washington Redskins. After a stellar career playing football, Rippon suffered severe traumatic brain injury and PTSD. He is one of the cast members of the movie Quiet Explosions, Healing the Brain, which is available for rent on Amazon, and he will also be a part of the Q&A session during my Awareness Day event on March 16th. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Amy, thank you. This is uh, quite an honor, and I appreciate uh, using your platform and obviously what you've been through and what a lot of us have been through and the ability to help yeah. others and make it... Uh, make it available for others to know there is help out there and that uh, we're going to be better off because of this. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much for being here. And I'm, I'm really excited for listeners to be a part of our Q and a on March 16th. Um, and anyone who has not yet watched quiet explosions, um, incredibly powerful movie. Um, and I feel that the movie did a really great job of showing different brain injuries, but yet we all kind of go through the same emotions and roller coaster, right? Um, so let's dive in to your career. You played professional football 
um, for the Washington Redskins. And when did your football career actually start? When did you start playing football? Well, I think uh, 2001 was when it ended. My last year with the Indianapolis Colts and had the pleasure of uh, being the backup to uh, Hall of Famer Peyton Manning. And, uh, but prior to that, I started when I was 13, 14 years old. They didn't allow us to play tackle football until my seventh grade, which I think is, um, even then, I think it's a little early to really, uh, your brain avail- or is at a place where I think you need contact sports. I mean, I know sports in general, whether it's basketball or, or even baseball, there's going to be some issues with uh, with contact at some point in time. Oh, and, sure. And it's mm-hmm. not going to be avoidable. But uh, football, if we could get our kids to maybe freshman year in high school and then kind of teach them the X's and O's up to that point. But I started when I was in seventh grade, so I guess that was be 13 years old till I was retired in 39, so 26 years of, of uh, football in some aspect in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I once heard, um, I was at a symposium, and I can't, I'm trying to recall who it was, um, but it was professional athletes talking about concussion, and it was one of the Minnesota Twins, um, but he said he didn't even play baseball, he didn't even start till he was 16, and he ended up being a pro baseball player, and, you know, yep. his point was, we don't have to play at the tackle level or the high intensity level until we're older. Like you don't learn that muscle memory until you're older anyway. Um, And so putting off playing tackle football or heading in soccer, you know, other sports, um, it's not necessary, right. Until we're, we're a little bit older. Um, So I'm, I'm glad to hear you, you kind of reiterate that too, that you wished, um, Absolutely. Perhaps you shouldn't have been playing tackle yet. Our our brains aren't fully grown until I think they're in in their late late teens and and early 20s, you know. So I think to play uh, sports, especially contact sports, at an early age, you've got to be very cognizant of of what it is, how we're doing it, what we're doing it for. And, um, you know, also be uh, aware that if there is a TBI or if there's an injury to the brain, um, you know, whether you're a youth hockey player or a soccer player and your, your brain, you know, is the uh, suspect to a TBI. I think we need to uh, be very aware of that and have a amount of time to allow your, your brain to heal. I know the NFL, college football, and high school football now is putting mandatory, um, you know, uh, stress and emphasis on players recovering from a game if they play a Friday night game under the lights in high school and they come back to practice on a Monday or Tuesday that they're going out there in shorts and and helmets and and no contact just to allow the brain a full week to to the following week that way they can get a lot of the X's and O's and the the mental aspect of the game down because um, that is as essential as it is to uh, you know smacking someone in the in the head, you know, during the course of practice, but you're only doing it to yourself and the cumulative effects of, of, uh, hits is what, uh, puts us in the place that, uh, some of us athletes have been in and others more severe than even my case. I mean, I've, I've had, you know, several concussions that are, are documented and others that, you know, uh, sub concussive hits, but most of them, I think, uh, we just need to, we need to be more aware of this and emphasize 
um, not beating ourselves up and our brains up during the course of a week prior to a, a, a game or, or during the off season. Do you recall your first concussion? One yeah, might have... I recall. I mean, I re- I recall um, a lot of uh, things in high or a lot of events in high school. As I wouldn't call them as my first concussion, but where you hit your head and your bell is rung, and you know you come to the sidelines, they ask if you're okay, and they put up four fingers and, and they say how many fingers, and you say three, and they say close enough, get back in. Um, so and then you kind of shake the the cobwebs out and get back in and play. But the first real one that I can remember that was very scary to me was in college, and it was uh, during the spring game, and it wasn't even against a, you know another team in the Pac-12. It was our our own spring game at Washington State University, and it was a uh, you know a couple of years after Mount St. Helens had erupted, and we had artificial turf and all this ash and and uh, you know fallout on the field and the rain that comes with it and. Um, so our field was almost like cement, even though it was an artificial turf. It was almost like cement. So I remember rolling out just before the end of the first half of our spring game. I threw a Hail Mary down uh, downfield, and the receiver, uh, I was watching the receiver trying to catch it. and I just got pushed. I wasn't even tackled hard. I just got pushed. But the first thing that I pushed as I was watching the play um, develop was my head hit the turf. And I got up, and, you know, my bell was rung, and I was thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, you know, I, uh, you know, kind of like, oh, shaking my head and the, trying to shake the cobwebs out. And then I saw everyone running in to uh, the um, uh, locker room. And as I was running into the locker room, I'm thinking to myself, going, okay, I'll just follow them all in there. And as I'm following them all, them all in, uh, I just kept going. I kept going in my uniform with my helmet on, on onto campus. So I, at that point in time, I think I, I didn't, I was delirious and didn't know exactly where I was. And I'm on campus asking a student where my next class was, and about that time they they're kind of aware something's not right, and so uh, they we talked to the trainers and they got me down to the, the locker room and did all the tests that they do did at that time. Not sure exactly what they were, and made sure that my college roommates would get me back to my uh, my place. So so that was uh, that was kind of the first real incident that. Um, I said, "Wow, this is this is a different uh, this is a different me. It's a different situation and, and such." So, words like the next day or a couple of days later, were, were you having any residual effects, or not that you recall? Um, not any uh, residual effects. I mean, there's some. I think there were some headaches that um, you know came from it. There were some situations where I felt, uh, you know, maybe not as comfortable and as good as I, I maybe once had and so but enough it wasn't anything that I was scared of or you know unaware that because you know, yeah, our trainers did say hey look we want your college roommates and your friends to be looking for this this and this and if the situation uh, you know arises and warrants itself then make sure that uh, give us a call so n- nothing of that nature so I thought nothing of it and you know kind of dealt with a lot, a lot of these things like it would be a an ankle injury you know it's going to happen um, you know, if it doesn't affect you into a point where, you know, you're, you're, you can't function, then that's one thing. So and that, that never was the case, though. So. You left the NFL in 01. So I believe that was well before the concussion protocols, um, the current concussion protocols got put into place. Um, 
I, I know. Time, yeah, go ahead. Are you there? Time that they were being implemented? Yeah, about that time is when I think the uh, the movie, you know, Concussion was, you know, kind of getting getting uh, into into form, and, and I think the NFL was starting to be aware, you know, of uh, some of these severities of former players that were going through psychological, mental, and um, behavioral issues, and uh, and they're, they're trying to, you know, get to the bottom of maybe where these are coming from and how. And if they are, how can we get ahead of it and how can we help these individuals and these players? And um, I think we're still in that uh, um, in that phase right now where we don't really have all the answers. Uh, unfortunately, what we're finding out is that you pretty much have to be deceased in order to figure out if you have um, CTE. And I mean, they're, they're, they're doing a lot of research to try to see if you're if you're live in here, that there's a possibility they can find out. But more or less, I think each and every one of uh, uh, the individuals that you were talking about that have had some sort of TBI and uh, injury that affects the brain, um, we're getting a little bit more grips on what it, where it comes from, uh, how we treat it, and what we can do to uh, heal our brains. Like I said earlier, you know, have less contact during the course of a week, allow the brain a week to heal and do some things that uh, will keep the inflammation if, if, from a uh, from a concussion or any type of injury that um, make things a little bit easier to palate. And then also long-term effects that we're finding out are uh, coming from cumulative effects of, of hits. And a lot of those cumulative effects of hits that they're talking about are coming from practices, not necessarily the games themselves. So we've got to be able to be a little smarter and work within those confines to make sure it's a little bit easier for our brains to, to try to heal. You're absolutely right with, um, you know, I practice and oftentimes I practice, they'll do drills. They're just light, not wearing helmets either. Um, you know, and we just, I think we need to get away from that. We, those, those brains. Misconception that a helmet can't completely prevent. Yeah, I, uh, I think you broke up a little bit there. Maybe you can kind of repeat it again. I'm not sure if it's your cell service or mine, but if you could repeat that again, that would be. I think you're talking about um, uh, drills that they have at practices and, and things of that nature. So if you could repeat that, be that'd be great. It was just saying that um, the, the, those hits during practice, um, they're often not even wearing helmets because it's just like light contact um, during practice. And so oftentimes they're not yeah. even wearing a helmet. Um, and, you know, that misconception that a helmet is going to prevent a brain injury. And while it can help prevent a serious injury, um, it definitely Yeah, I think I think you are uh, spot on that you even with shorts and and a helmet on or no helmet on, you can't prevent uh, an injury to the brain. You can prevent what you said, a serious injury to the brain, having the equipment that they have. And um, but I think it's just a more or less a, a matter of trying to be as 
preventative as possible and also allowing the brain to heal. And they've, uh, I'm not sure of the data, I'm sure they're, they're, they're starting to gather data on what they're doing now, the week from a game to the following game without contact in between um, and the effects that it's going to have on those individuals. I mean, that's probably going to be another 10, 20 years from now when we see some of these players that are retiring now, the Drew Breeses, the Tom Brady's, what their effects of uh, uh, this type of um, brain injury is going to have in, in, the, in their latter days and in, in their lives. Tired from the NFL, um, at what point did you start realizing that you yourself Maybe it was even before you retired, but at what point did you start understanding, oh, hey, I've got some some deficit? Well, I think there's a, a quite a few things, uh, Amy. When, when you look at um, the latter, you know, after you retired and what your, you know, behavior your your uh, physical ability to do things and uh, be able to function in a manner that um, you know you think is you, and then you find out that they're doing things that aren't you, and you're concerned about these different effects. You know, and I uh, I for one I feel that I have a condition anyway that is. Uh, brain-related, I have a seasonal affective disorder just because of my uh, geographics of living in the Pacific Northwest. Um, being in the Pacific Northwest limits me during the months of October through March. So I already have some some seasonal affective disorder along with some uh, mild TBI to severe TBI in certain cases that affects me both uh, mentally and psychology and through that I think your behavior changes and and the concerns that I have about my behavior some of the things that um, I was doing and some of the things that uh, I felt were not me and were out of sorts and until you start understanding yourself and um, who uh, who is you know who's the type of person that um, you are and want to be and then you're doing things that don't it doesn't really add up to that um it was a concern and uh i know there's some pretty severe behavioral issues especially after my son andrew died in 1998 where i spiraled downhill um into a a, a place where i didn't want to be around anymore uh things that normally being kind of a happy go lucky life of the party i became uh, more arrogant more more angry and, and, and did some things, behavioral things in my life that um, uh, were predicated on not knowing at times that uh, I, I really understood myself, understood what I was doing, and got involved in some things that, you know, uh, were affecting my life. And I didn't want to be around anymore. I didn't want to be, um, you know, be a father, be a grandfather, be a brother, be a uh, son, you know, I just felt that my life uh, didn't matter, and I was going to also, um, because of these things that I didn't quite put my, sink my 
my myths into understand. Uh, I was in a destructive path to not wanting to be here on earth anymore. And it's a pretty, pretty, pretty bad place to be when you think about it. What point did you, or maybe someone else around you, at what point did it become some sort of help? Well, um, yeah, there's certain certain behaviors. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to look at these behaviors. That, that, that some of them um, that were, were predicated on being involved in um, sexual behaviors that were not only inappropriate but were uh, designed to, uh, for me, to be destructive because the acts of the inappropriate sexual behaviors that I was engaged in uh, was not only affecting my loved ones, but it was also affecting me because after, you know, being uh, an athlete that, you know, everyone looked up to, and now here I am, you know, going to massage parlors and being a part of something that I look at and think to myself that I'm, in essence, need a some sort of an, uh, an endorphin uh, fix and to get that in a manner that I was, the effects of the behavior and what it did after um, I would engage in such activity was so demoralizing to me. I didn't want to be around and I wanted to kill myself. And that was difficult. And that struggles I, I, I went through for a period and, uh, right after I was done playing in the 2000s to, um, you know, after about last ten, eight or eight or nine years ago, and until I did get help, until I did have people that understood the, mag- the magnification of this, and, and that I didn't, uh, they need to reach out. And they need to get me the, the help that I needed, um, and to be vulnerable, and be outspoken, and that it was okay to know that through this, a lot of people are going through. So I'm not talking about. I want to talk about other people. I'm talking about saving my life this time. Now I'm out. To, now I'd like to talk about this to help others and know that others are, could possibly be in the same situation as myself. That uh, your behavior and what you're doing doesn't add up to who you really are and who you want to be. And, and um, it can be destructive. It can be um, to a place where you feel on an island by yourself and you don't want to be around anyone else anymore. And um, but uh, to recognize that and and realize that you got people that are are going to support you and help you through this was was instrumental in this the documentary quiet explosions um gave us a platform to not only be vulnerable ourselves and once you be vulnerable yourself you kind of like you're exposing yourself to the world you're also exposing yourself to people that are going through the same thing you're going through that are in the same place that you're at and, and um that there is help. There is help on the horizon. There's help through um, whatever you're dealing with and that people are, are, are going to be there for you. And, and I'm so grateful and, and blessed to have uh, had the opportunity to, to come out the other end and be able to willing and, and to help others through this. You're so right that once, you know, once we make it through to the other side, so to speak, um, it does. It kind of becomes our life mission to help others. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that you and Jerry ended up, you know, finding each other and being a part of the documentary. And, and I just love that Jerry, um, the producer, that she had this, you know, when she had this vision, she knew she wanted to have pro athletes, military, and then just, the, you know, the civilians. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and, yeah. you know, because we do, a lot of people think of, they immediately think football when they think of concussions. And while, yes, it's prevalent in football, it, it can affect any walk of life. I fell on the ice, right? And in a matter of seconds, yeah. my life changed. Yep. Love how inclusive. Um, Yeah, I, I really, I really feel too, Amy, and I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear of, of uh, what you had to deal with, and, and I guess for for all of us, what we're going to still have to deal with, and what will be what's the rain, remainder of our lives is is to be um, the platform to help others, and to be able to to be vulnerable, to be able to kind of expose our our, our wrongdoings and, and, and find ways to do it better. The other thing is too is that each and every one of us. And, recently is um, we don't have to stay in this place of broken, you know, where you sometimes subconsciously get this idea that you can't be fixed or you know, there's no way that, you know, someone like myself can, can affect people the way I did both positively and negatively and that I can't come, come through this. So you don't have to stay broken. And there's so many modalities and in, in areas where people can seek help and get help. And, um, and I'm just uh, grateful for Jerry and, and Andrew Moore. And Andrew is just a hero of mine. Any of our military uh, men and women that have served our country and have been through what they've been through and the, the PTSD and the suicidality. And, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking here today on the phone, and there will be 20 of our servicemen and women that will take their lives today. And we have to be able to come together as a, uh, a you know, family of of, of people that have problems and have issues, but aren't broken and can be, uh, we can we can come out the other end of it. So, we're just about out of time, and I would love to wrap up by asking you what your final words of wisdom are for our listeners, and and you know what you just said was so perfect, but I I feel like you probably got more, so. I have a lot more and I have, I have, I have a lot more and I have, I have a, you know, soulmate now that I'm so gracious to um, walk this journey with and someone that um, I think is, is uh, put on this world and, and uh, I think to, to make my life a better place and, and to also help others. And that's kind of the mission that we are going to be on is to um, do everything we can to, to help those that, you know, are, are in need. And we know that, that, that COVID-19 and um, this last year has been difficult and we'll all deal with mental health issues in whatever way, shape, or form, but we can get through this together. And I'm going to use my platform as, as best I can and and work with my, my dear friend to uh, help others in every, any way, shape, or form and um, to to get our message out there and to be able to open up as much as we can and hopefully others open up as much as they can to seek the help that they need and be able to be uh, 
uh, a, a better us. That's, all. That's kind of what I always look forward to now is to be in a better me each and every day. And um, my brother always wakes up and tells me, make this a great day. And I think that's that's what we can do. And, and, and that's what I want to make sure to others. So I know we're running out of time, but, but thank you first and foremost. And thank you for being able to promote, promote our uh, our documentary, Quiet Explosions, and I, I just recommend everyone out, out there, if you get a chance, please watch it. And, and no, I, don't, I didn't get a chance to talk about all the doctors and great things that people are doing, but they're, they're in that documentary, and, and there, is, there is help on the way. Today, and I really look forward again on March 16th, For listening today. I really hope you enjoyed today's podcast with Mark Rippin. And uh, in the show notes, I do have a link to the movie um, that is available for rent on Amazon. I believe it is $3.99 for a rental fee. Um, and again, you can join us on March 16th for a Q&A during our Brain Injury Awareness Day event. And that's at facesoftbi.com slash events. And just another thank you to our podcast sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers. You can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. And you can always find previous podcast episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes or directly at facesoftbi.com. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. And join me in Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode.